Ah, the smell of perfect pizza. The carpet of wet leaves on the sidewalk. Ambulances and traffic running 24-7. Intimidatingly fashionable outerwear. New York City is one of my favorite cities in the world, and there's no better time to be there than the fall. I mean, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Come on. And how much more beautiful will all of our cities be when they're perfected in the love and the grace of God? But how shall they know about his grace unless someone tells them? What better place, what better time to come and refresh yourself on the art and craft of preaching than New York in November? Register now for Preaching in a Post-Christian Age. This is a three-day Living Church conference in the heart of Manhattan where you can enjoy world-class keynotes, conversations with experts, warm fellowship with other Christian leaders, and hone your skills as a preacher of God's Word. And we might have dinner at a speakeasy, just saying. Tickets start at just 50 bucks. Find more information at livingchurch.org forward slash events or click the link in the show notes today. That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Aaron, here we are. Uh, another um, episode. Another one. Gosh. Another one. You just keep coming. I just keep coming the hits. So, That's right. um, who is that? DJ Khaled? Another one. I'm so not a fan. No offense, CJ Khaled. Oh, you're not my one. God. My, but, um, my, my son's always quoting him. I don't think my son's a massive fan either, but he's always quoting him. Especially whenever we go anywhere where they serve seafood, my son feels the need to yell, bring out the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. He's a funny young, guy. Shout out Mr. to Henry Smith. Smith. Henry Smith. This episode's That's for you. Right. Not that you'll well, ever listen to it, but uh, um, <laughs> yeah, my kids don't listen to my podcast. I'm like, hey, lame. did you hear my ad pass? And they're like, no. Dad, you have a podcast that's so lame. So why are you embarrassing me? <laughs> yeah, and then you should be like, well, I'm gonna get on TikTok and share my parenting advice. So mm-hmm. How about that? Oh, good. That is really good. They'll love that. So. If you don't like my podcasts, well, uh, yeah. So this Duck here tapes we are for you. So anyway. <laughs> Here we are, uh, preachers uh, and listeners, in getting into the the fall here. You know, in down in Texas, it's we're recording this um, early September, and I know there's like places that uh, you know they're not even back in school yet. We've been in school for two weeks down here, um, and uh, but I say by the time this episode drops, everybody's going to be back yeah. to the grind. Back uh, to the grind, hate and life. The su- so. Jake's closed up his summer place in the Hamptons. <laughs> uh, that wistful time every year that comes, um, and he's and he's back there in Quag. Uh, so, but yeah. no, just back kidding. In, uh, I think we have a few listeners who live out there. So, uh, what's up, listeners? Mm-hmm. Send us a tip, mm-hmm. by which we mean a donation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. So uh, we have our uh, everybody's back. 
and so your sermons can be long. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just, <laughs> just kidding. But they need to be hopeful. So, um, but uh, our readings today are Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21, and then uh, we take a look at uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And uh, we are uh, knee-deep in description and practicality here in the book of Romans. And then, um, and shout out to everyone who did a sermon series around the book of Romans through the, month of, through the summer months. And then we have um, our continued conversation on forgiveness uh, found in Matthew, our gospel reading, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, By the way, I will say, just preachers yes, getting ahead mm-hmm. of things, just one thing to note is that the readings uh, from Romans, uh, September 17th is the last Sunday that you have a Romans reading. And then you start getting into uh, three weeks in Philippians. Uh, basically, you get into to Paul's letters, uh, a little bit of Colossians, a lot of First Thessalonians. Uh, of course, we continue through the Gospel of Matthew. But if you're looking, if you have been preaching on Romans, just know that you get into more epistles of Paul coming up. Uh, in sort of two weeks, and you can begin to prep that if you want. Uh, I'm not telling you how to live your life. You do what you want. But I just, you know, sometimes there are preachers out there that are really just kind of week to week and not looking out, <laughs> like me, uh, not looking out to the future. But thanks for this podcast. Uh, it makes me look out a little bit to the future. So you can think about things like that as you're getting ready. So back now to the text for today. Jake, take it away. Well, uh, our opening reading is Genesis chapter 50, the very end of the book of Genesis. And uh, here we have... Um, uh, so we have the, the conclusion uh, the, of the story of Joseph and uh, his brothers. And if you know any, you've got to give a little bit background what's going on here. But uh, basically, Jacob has uh, 12 sons. And, um, uh, and anyway, uh, and uh, Joseph is his favorite and, uh, and really demonstrates that favoritism and uh, gives him a coat. And uh, he's eventually, the brothers get jealous. Instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit. And then uh, he's uh, picked up uh, by uh, slave traders and he's sent to Egypt where uh, miraculously God remembers him and throughout his life carries him and uh, he eventually uh, achieves the rank essentially of prime minister. There's a massive famine that strikes everywhere and um, uh, Joseph's brothers come. They don't recognize him, but they need food. Eventually, Joseph invites uh, um his brothers and his father into Egypt where they settle in the north in the land of Goshen. And, uh, you know, and um, anyway, Jacob has just died, uh, the father, and um, and uh, the brothers are beginning to realize, oh, snap, uh, you know, the only thing that was really saving us between our dad or between Joseph, this powerful man in Egypt now, and uh, us is has been our father and maybe now that dad is gone uh things are about to turn for the worst and um and so essentially that's the context now the way and you got to give a little bit of context but the way that i would talk about this is that joseph is a type and a shadow of jesus and this is oftentimes the way we approach god you know you're coming off of the summer holiday everything was wonderful but now you're back at the grind because the, wor- the world treats you this way, you know what I mean? Uh, mm. Things don't go well, things change, and all of a sudden the hammer is dropped. And this is oftentimes how we approach God. We think God approaches uh, us the same way, you know? Oh, I really messed up this time. Oh, uh, that, that, that wonderful moment of grace, it's faded away, and yeah, the shoe's going to drop. And, uh, and what we see in Joseph um, is what we ultimately see fulfilled in Jesus. 
um, have no fear, <laughs> you know, I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he assured them, speaking kindly to them. And this is what our Savior does to us. He provides for us. He speaks kindly to us. And he's removed our sins as far as uh, the east is from the west. And we don't have to relate to um, uh, God either or Jesus as slaves. You know, they think that they can uh, they can atone for something by relating. To, but no, uh, we relate to Jesus now as our older brother. And uh, even the, the, the terrible thing of the cross, God has used for good in order to not only preserve a numerous people, but uh, preserve the entire world. Yeah, this passage is so beautiful and powerful because it, it gives an Old Testament case study of what Jesus was talking about on some level in Matthew 18 that we would have mm -hmm. read last week and we talked about on the podcast. And we'll where, see today in our gospel reading. Yeah, absolutely. So, but here you have a, a, a broken relationship and people, uh, the, the people that need to be reconciled kind of go to each other and have this hard conversation. Uh, they ask for forgiveness um, and you see what happens. Um, there's this, uh, there's this beautiful restoration. Everybody's crying. Uh, it's like this beautiful family reunion. And um, uh, Joseph is given to see that even through this difficult thing, um, God is at work. Uh, there's a really powerful story in the latest issue of the Mockingbird magazine. And uh, it's discussed on the mocking cast. It, this, if you go back to the first week of September, the sort of first post-summer hiatus episode of the mocking cast, um, they talk about this mother whose son was murdered senselessly, and how she came through a really horrific and difficult grieving process uh, to forgive and even build a relationship with the murderer, um, and it opened up a new way of her understanding God and herself and really just kind of changed her whole view of the world. Um, and uh, that's heavy and that's hard, but um, that's what is sort of getting expressed here in verse 20. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. The statement, there's nothing so awful that God cannot um, bring some kind of goodness, reconciliation, something i mean that god god is love and there's nothing so awful that the power of god's love and mercy and wisdom and kindness can't in some way um, transform that's not an excuse for evil it's a statement about the incredible power and goodness and love of god so this is born out in in this relationship of Joseph and his brothers. Um, I like to think of the coat as being like that puffy coat that Kanye wore, like mm. those huge, mm. uh, just the, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Anyways, man. so uh, deep stuff, deep waters in this Genesis reading, but it's, uh, it's if you can connect to people, as you say, Joseph is a type of Jesus, and when we come to him, um, he, there's rejoicing and weeping tears of joy at the reconciliation. That's God's heart for you right. and for the people in your congregation. So you want them to feel that if you preach this passage. Um, uh, so, yeah. That's good. Well, then we come to uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And here we are uh, knee-deep in uh, what I would call practicality. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what uh, Paul is uh, talking about here is uh, has nothing to do with how a person is saved. Uh, let that dog hunt, 
um, what he is talking about here is ultimately issues that don't matter. Um, the Greek word for that is adiaphora. Um, but, you know, these are, uh, these are things that do not matter to uh, God, but they ultimately matter to us, and they can cause a great division in the church. And so, um, and so uh, and in Paul's day, the hot-button adiaphora issues were foods and days of the week. You had Gentiles who uh, were coming into the church and eating pork knuckle. Others were coming into the church and uh, were eating, um, uh, had like restrained from eating um, uh, food sacrificed to gods. You had Jews who observed days and festivals. And so they're all coming together and they're all living together and they're all trying to, um, you know, say this is the most important thing. And what Paul is saying is that none of these things are the most important thing. Um, a great illustration that can be used in this particular text when I was thinking about it is uh, C.S. Lewis in his clever book, The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's such a good book. I and have. If you it's haven't amazing. read it, give it a read. But uh, the senior devil is advising his junior devil nephew um, on uh, these particular issues on how to create division in the church. And uh, I mean, in, in this particular uh, section, C.S. Lewis sounds a lot like, um, well, the great Anglican that he is, but he, he quote this, the real fun is working up hatred between those who say mass and those who say holy communion, when neither party could possibly state the difference between, say, Hooker's doctrine and Thomas Aquinas's in any form which would hold water for five minutes. And all the purely indifferent things, candles and clothes and whatnot, are an admirable ground for our activities. We are quite removed from men's minds what that pe- we we quite removed from men's minds what that pestilent fellow Paul used to teach about food and other utensils, namely that the human without scruples should always give in to the human with scruples. You should think that they could not fail to see the application. You would expect to find the low churchman genuflecting and crossing himself, lest the weak conscience of a high brother should be moved to irreverence, and the high one refraining from these exercises, lest he should betray his low brother into idolatry. And so it would have been but for our ceaseless labor. Without (laughs) that, the variety of usage within the Church of England might have become a positive hotbed of charity and humility." But uh, I think I think that that's really what this is all about is, uh, you know, um, uh, Christian charity and, uh, you know, um, and uh, and making room for for the other believer and uh, not getting uh, focused on the wrong thing, but keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you begin to move away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that thing that unifies us, that says there's no more Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female, when we move away from that, well, then uh, there's nothing really that holds us together. Uh, I think it's so funny, this passage. Um, this is the one that has the great verse in Scripture, uh, 14 b the weak eat only vegetables. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. You should uh, make bumper stickers and put this on vegan restaurants. The weak eat only vegetables. No, so Paul, yeah, Paul's talking about um, on Taco Tuesday, are you allowed to have the carnitas and the... Um, uh, uh, the chorizo, or do you have you have to only stick with the um, the uh, carne asada? Yeah, people make a big deal out of eating then, now, in the church, outside the church. It's this whole thing about defining yourself, and and Paul does say this amazing thing here, where he basically says what the main important thing for deciding what you do in a given situation is not necessarily what is quote-unquote right or wrong, 
but how does it impact other people who are loved by God? So in this situation, it was like, yeah, do we eat kosher foods or non-kosher foods? And it's like, well, it's not whether about you should or shouldn't do that. How do your actions affect the other person for whom Christ died? Um, uh, if, if it's a big deal for them that you don't eat the thing, then don't eat the thing. If it's a big deal for them that you do eat the thing, eat the thing. Um, and it's just, it's, it's zooming out to a much bigger picture than little thing about do we do this thing or that thing. And uh, as an Episcopalian in Waco, Texas, I get to practice this a lot with my Baptist brothers and sisters um, who in worship style and liturgy and all kinds of things, it's just a very different way of being a Christian. I'm not better than them. Um, um, and uh, absolutely, I've been tempted to have those kinds of thoughts. I, you know, screw tape and wormwood are still active in the world. And, um, and of course, uh, it's across the whole Christian church. We all look at each other in our different little denominations and, and do what Lewis talks mm. about. But, um, but, you know, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die to the Lord, we are the Lord's. Um, don't pass judgment on your brother or sister. Um, you worry about yourself. Um, do what's loving and helpful for the other person. Don't cause them to stumble. Um, and it, and this is a this is a very gracious sort of thing um, because the reason people get all worked up about in Lewis's example high church or low church, you know, do you have candles and lace vestments or or just a very plain product thing or I don't know in the the church music wars of the nineties you know old hymns or contemporary music or whatever the things they're fighting about today in the in the church. Um, uh, if you lose sight of the main thing, which is the gospel, these things will become important to you because you will think that your identity is determined by things other than the love of God and Jesus Christ. If mm -hmm. you stay rooted in the gospel, if that is who you are, then these other things have less meaning. It's only when you're seeking to justify yourself right. through external things that these things begin to take uh, greater importance than they have. This and it's not to say that it, Aquinas and Hooker's doctrine of the Eucharist are not different and significant. Like, it's good to know those things. It's good to have opinions, but just keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Well, and then he says this thing that often can be turned into a bludgeon and sound like Paul is reneging on everything he's written about in Romans. It says, For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. Ugh, what the heck is going on there? Mm. Well, um, I think it's important that uh, we have to, um, you have to take this now to the gospel. And uh, uh, this is not about what you do. This is not going back on what St. Paul has taught at all. What he is saying is that God has not given judgment to you. This is in light of everything you say. This is not judgment. Judgment hasn't been given to you. So you are not going the to judge. Worry, yeah, if you're going to worry about someone, you know, uh, worry about you. Uh, you see, uh, when we stand before God, and this is how you should wrap this up, when you stand before God, we will stand in solidarity uh, with the religious and the unreligious, with those who keep feasts and fasts and those who don't those who watch what they eat and those who eat everything like myself in sight. But we're going to stand before the judgment seat, not as wise men bringing gifts uh, to the baby Jesus, uh, you know, not, um, you know, but we're all going to stand before Jesus as humble beggars. I love Luther. That was his last words. We're all beggars, mm -hmm. empty handed beggars. And, uh, and then 
all these other things, you begin to realize if we stand before God, forgiven sinners as beggars, nothing really matters except for Jesus. The only thing that matters, especially on Judgment Day, is the blood that was shed for you on the cross, the water that's claimed you in baptism, and uh, the body and blood that's nourished and sustained you in the faith to your life's very end. So we will stand before uh, the judgment seat, but not because we had candles or flowers on the altar, but because of the blood of Christ that's been shed for you and me. Ooh! Yes. All right. So moving to Matthew 18. Um, this is... Uh, Peter's famous question. I love it. So, well, this is fall, flowing from last week, you know, in the minion. Right. So two or three are gathered together. All right. So awesome. Well, how many times are we supposed to forgive folks? Yeah, because you know? Jesus was talking about, yeah, if there's a broken relationship in the church, how do you mend fences and kind of put it back together? And, and Peter wants to know how many times he has to do that. Um, and he thinks he's being super generous. Seven mm -hmm. times? He's trying to show off, uh, I'm willing to do it seven times, uh, Jesus. It's probably more than any of the other disciples would have uh, would have said. But Jesus says, no, 77, basically limitless. Like, you just mm. keep forgiving. Which, again, to the point that I made last week, you never stop saying the confession in church because this never ends. Until Jesus returns and restores all things, the new heaven and the new earth, um, we are going to continue to hurt one another. Um, as you two said, in one, we hurt each other and we do it again. So uh, Jesus says, you don't stop now. I mean, I will say again, um, this isn't to make room for a, a person in an abusive relationship to continue to be on the um, receiving yeah. end of abuse forever. Um, if you are in that, get out and get help. And um, uh, you can... And through therapy, you can work through a place where your whole life will be forgiveness of the other person so that you can move on with your life and move ahead in your life. Um, but it doesn't mean you necessarily stay in the relationship with the person who's hurting you. So just always have to give that caveat because this passage um, could be used and has been used, unfortunately, to say to people who are being abused, just keep forgiving, just stick with it. Um, it's like, no, forgive the person, but also get out of the relationship. You can do both. So anyways, uh, uh, moving to this parable then that Jesus yeah. tells in response to this. He wants to illustrate what he's talking about. Yeah, this is a very, uh, this is very important, this, uh, this thing. And basically, it's a parable. And remember what we said, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, a fable with a moral ending. This is a parable. This is an earthly illustration of a heavenly truth. And so what you see is uh, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, how God actually operates. It's compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. And it opens up with the slave who owes uh, 10,000 talents. That's a huge, huge debt. That would be like over $10 million today. And uh, the punishment was harsh, and so because, and uh, and uh, it not only will affect him, it'll affect his children and everything, you know. So this is an illustration of what original sin is actually all about, uh, you know. And uh, and so a debt you see can't pay, a debt you can't pay, and a debt that has affected not only you but your wife, your children, everyone around you. So um, everybody's infected with this original sin. And he falls on his knees and he says, uh, I'll pay you back everything. And then why would he say that? Well, this is an illustration of how the world thinks that God deals with us via transactions. 
And let me tell you, uh, if you, uh, and uh, man, I fall into this all the time. Uh, it's our natural, it's our modus operandi. But a transaction with God is a killer because it fools us into thinking that we are right with God on the basis of what we do. And if you think that's the case, then you begin to put uh, God in your debt and you begin to... Uh, uh, begin to think of yourself actually on one level as a god and so um, I think uh, I think this is one of the reasons why like political discourse in our country is uh, except between you and I is right. so intrinsically self-righteous I mean we cannot forget and it's toxic we can't forgive our whole religious system in America has moved from the church to politics and so uh, that's true but um but I think what's beautiful here is that the king doesn't strike a deal with the slave. You know, he's not like, you have three weeks to pay me back. No, it says out of pity for him. Because the servant asked for grace, the king gave him grace. Uh, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him. The Lord actually dies to this debt, which would have required not only the slave, but the slave's whole family. And so... Um, uh, the, the point here is, um, as the Episcopal theologian Robert Farah Capon once said, commenting on this parable, none of our debts, none of our sins, none of our trespasses or errors will ever be an obstacle to the grace that raises the dead. At the most, they will be the measure of our death. And as soon as we die, they too will be dead because our Lord, the King, has already died to them. Mm-hmm. And this does also illustrate another aspect of what human beings do is if you have That's a transactional totally view right. of God, because even though the slave, the servant is forgiven, he thinks transactionally, God yep. doesn't, God has pity and doesn't think transactionally, doesn't think about fairness, just forgives, just releases him from the debt. But this guy still thinks transactionally, so he goes out into the world and wants other people to interact with him transactionally, and he wants... Yeah, this is why he's who, toxic. Yeah, he owes him, you know, five bucks, and he's like, pay me five bucks, and he says, I can't, so then he throws him in jail. And so, um, this is, uh, an, again, an illustration of what happens to you if you're not, as a Christian, if you're not the kind of person that, as the Lord's Prayer says, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, or forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you, uh, if you dam up the river of forgiveness... <laughs> by only taking it for yourself and not expressing it to others, it creates this choke in your life and um, this choke point, and you will uh, you will begin to harden and uh, and eventually break, and your faith will um, will be a cold and small thing. So it's it's um, again forgiveness is not letting people quote unquote get away with murder you're naming the sin murder or whatever it is and then you are not um anymore holding it against them so uh anyways this is this is an invitation to your congregation and to yourself as the preacher to um do some of that fearless and searching moral inventory they talk about in aa mm. um, look at the places where you have held on to resentments and letting them go, um, or beginning to let them go, or wanting, moving to a place of wanting to let them go. Um, and that only comes about through realizing your own position of indebtedness and brokenness and sin. Um, so it's, it, starts, it starts with you. So uh, looking at, you know, we talked about that Joseph reading with his brothers, which is um, 
uh, and and uh, um, you know the humility that comes um, from doing what Jesus says, looking not at the speck in your brother's eye, but the plank at your own, which is again what the Romans 14 reading is about. So all these things again kind of tie together uh, in a really beautiful way. But uh, if you don't um, if you, if you find yourself as a person who's unable to forgive, that means you need to go back and do some work internally with God. Um, do you actually realize what God has done for you on the cross? Do you actually get that? Like, spend some time there and then revisit the other places in your life where you seem unable to forgive. Hmm. That's beautiful. I just, um, when I think about these readings, especially the gospel in the Old Testament, I think of that uh, Jars of Clay song. Uh, Fade to Gray, it's probably their like best song, and it's um, and especially this parable. You know, if you think about yourself in a sense of a transaction, the opening lyrics go: "It's not hard to know what you're thinking when you're looking down on me. You tra- your trace of love is seeking to turn this world around, but in my state of blind confusion, no God can pull me out. But I see your love is willing to turn me inside out." And really, that is what forgiveness does, is it turns you uh, inside out. And, um, and it makes, it creates forgiveness, especially the understanding the gospel. Uh, it creates a person who actually can make room for others as well. And uh, that's the whole point of uh, Paul's epistle as well. But this is, uh, God is not interested in transactions. And, um, and the new... Uh, the new man, the new woman in you who's been forgiven by God, um, uh, slowly but surely over time will become less transactional as well. Amen. Well, I think that'll do this for uh, mm. this, um, yeah. this week's readings. And God bless you as you preach. Uh, know that the forgiveness of God is for you too, preacher. And uh, we'll see you again as we, as we uh, slowly move through the next 5,000 Sundays after Pentecost. Um, one day far in the future it will be Christ the King Sunday but not yet so till next week God bless somebody's looking somebody cares somebody wonders what you're doing today you know we crucified him buried him but three days later will the stone got rolled away thanks for listening to Same Old Song hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.